We don't even know the things that come out of our mouths are bothering people. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that couple's talking about that right now. <clears throat> Hopefully with grace. But isn't it true? Our mouths get us in trouble. Uh, yeah, whether it's intentionally or not, our mouths get us in trouble. Uh, this is, this is the, the passage that was just read to us uh, from the book of James. You know, if, if this is such a common problem, you would think that the most practical book in the Bible would address it, and lo and behold, it does. We just read it. Uh, let, me, let me reread for you a couple verses in case some of you aren't convinced of your problem. Listen to James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able, uh, a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. And then verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So has your tongue ever set your life on fire? Can you think back to a time when something came out of your mouth and before you knew it, you look around and, and the barn's on fire? You ever been there? I know I have. Uh, keeping our tongues in check is one of the biggest challenges of becoming like Jesus, isn't it? Um, and it's not just about saying or rather not saying the wrong things, but it's about also saying the right things when you should. So Jesus' ability to do this was divine. Uh, always able to say the right thing, never saying the wrong thing. Um, and this was a result of his spirit-filled, scripture-saturated life. And this is the pursuit, lifelong pursuit really, for all of us, to have the Spirit of God to be in such control of our lives that what comes out of our mouths is always pleasing to Him and always helpful to the people in our lives. This is what we want, right? I know that's the case for every one of us. We are in Psalm chapter 119. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there with me. We're in the second stanza of this great psalm. And we're going to focus today on verse 13. <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 13 says, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. This stanza's focus is holiness. This stanza is made up of eight verses from 9 to 16. And this stanza, like I said, is focused directly at the pursuit of holiness in the life of a Christian or a life of a believer. Uh, you remember we spoke about verse 10 a while back that told us that if we're going to be a holy people, we must be seeking God with our whole heart. We can't, we can't expect to experience consistent growth in holiness if we only seek God occasionally or if we withhold certain areas of our life from his oversight or input. We must be seeking him with our whole heart. We also see in verse 11 that holiness requires us to store God's word up in our heart. And this is more than just memorizing it. It's, it's letting the word of God uh, affect every single part of our being. That's what it means to store up God's word in our heart. 
as important as memory is, uh, storing it up is way beyond simply filing verses into our mind. And on top of all this, we see in verses 10 and 12 that if we're going to be holy people, we must realize that God must be at work. We are a dependent people, whether we realize it or not. And you see the cry of the psalmist in these two verses, let me not wander from your commandments, he says in verse 10. It's a, it's a plea from a heart of one who knows his weakness. And that ought to be ours. That should be our attitude as we seek holiness. And today we come to verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Now, as you remember, the, the chapter has about eight to ten different synonyms for the word of God, and this one happens to be the rules. It's referring to God's word. In essence, we could say, with my lips I tell all of God's word. With my lips I'm going to recite or, or, or speak out all of God's words. And so I want to talk to you this morning about this verse and how it affects how we use these things on the front of our face called lips. Uh, look at the challenge with me, if you would, the challenge of lips. I think this is probably, for all of us, the greatest challenge in life, controlling what comes out of our mouths. Um, I know that this is a great challenge for me. If I could just keep my upper lip touching my bottom lip, I would be much better off in life. Um, and I'm certain that your spouse can also agree with this. Remember James 2 says, if we can control our mouths, we're perfect people. And, and since all of us agree that we aren't perfect, the biblical response is, it's because of your mouth, is the deduction here. And so we want to, we want to work on this. We want to be a people who, who sees what God sees, who, who, who is concerned with what God's concerned with, and it makes it clear here and in James, and many other places in Scripture, by the way, that our mouth is a problem. But we want to, we want to avoid hypocrisy in this conversation. And so when, when we are going to speak out the words of God, as, as this verse tells us we should be doing, if we're going to be pursuing holiness, we should be speaking out God's word. To avoid hypocrisy in that, we need to make sure that God's word has actually found a resting place in our hearts. Um, if God's word is stored up in our hearts, as verse 11 says, uh, is the pursuit of, of people seeking holiness, then and only then can we, can or should it come out of our lips. Uh, now, I, I want you to make sure you, you hear me here. I'm not saying that we need to be perfect people before we speak forth the word of God. That's not the case. If that were the case, the word of God would never be spoken. Um, I'm talking about here making sure that your, your life, your mind, your heart is saturated with the word of God in such a way it affects what comes out of your mouth. That's what I'm after here. To declare God's word without embracing it in a hypocritical manner is a dangerous path to follow, don't you think? Uh, it, it not only can harden your heart against God's transforming truth, but it also can have an adverse effect on those to whom you're declaring this word. Take a, an obvious example, uh, parents. You're, you're teaching your children, you're, you're, you're preaching at your children about the importance of something in God's word, and you turn around and do the very same thing, it loses its impact, don't you think? You know, we, we all know that how off-putting it is to hear someone preach something and then go out and not practice what they preach. That's the danger of preaching, um, which is constantly on my mind. 
Thomas Manton said this about the subject, when there is true grace in the heart, the sweet influences thereof, that is the influence of grace, will flow forth in their common discourse for the refreshing of others. If there is a seed of grace in your heart, if God has implanted grace in your soul, guess what? It permeates your life and finds its way out to others in your world. So this is an important question. If in fact what comes out of our mouth is the overflow of our heart, what's in our hearts? That's the question, isn't it? What is your heart full of? Well, let's, let's dig into this a little bit by talking about the use of lips. As we are all aware, there's plenty of ways to misuse our lips. The Bible lists them. The Apostle Paul actually uh, lists them, it seems, back to back to back when he says, let's not have corrupt talking coming out of your mouth, coarse joking, idle or useless conversation, careless words, filthy words, foolish or crude words, don't gossip, don't slander, don't lie, don't argue. This is all from the Apostle Paul's pen. So we know that from just reading Paul, there's all sorts of ways that we can misuse our lips. It's really easy to find ourselves engaged in this kind of thing, isn't it? Without even trying. You never notice, parents, you never have to teach your kids to say bad things. They figure, where'd you hear that? <laughs> from you, daddy. <laughs> So we have all these exhortations in the word of God to not use our lips in certain ways because when we do, Paul said in, in Ephesians 4.30 that it grieves the Holy Spirit. I want to point something out to you. In Ephesians 4.29 it says, don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The very next verse says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you think there's any connection between what comes out of your mouth and what grieves the Holy Spirit? Yeah, there's an intimate connection. And the reason is this. The Holy Spirit's job is to conform you into the likeness of Christ. And what demonstrates the likeness of Christ in your life and mine is by what comes out of our lips. And so when corrupting talk comes out of our lips, lying, slander, whatever foolishness comes out of our lips, it demonstrates the Holy Spirit has not accomplished his work in me. That grieves him. This is serious stuff. So how should we use our lips? Um, let, me, let me suggest to you one simple and obvious approach to this conversation. Starting in 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Uh, what better way to glorify God with our body than to use our lips to declare his word? Does that make sense to you? Uh, in Psalm chapter 12, verse 4, we read about these rebels who were saying that their lips belonged to themselves and basically told God to mind his own business. Uh, our lips are our own. We can use them however we want, is what the rebels were saying. Is that the case for the Christian? Obviously not. Why? Because we, I just read for you from 1 Corinthians that you were bought with a price. And, of course, the price we know was the blood of Christ. The, 
The reason that we don't have freedom to say whatever we want, whenever we want, to whomever we want, is because your lips were not only created by God, but they were purchased by God for his use. We don't have the freedom to just flap our lips however we want. Nothing that we possess is our own. So if there is a body part that is best suited to bring glory to God and encouragement to others, it's our lips, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is true all over the, the animal kingdom. I could begin to make animal noises and you could identify them, hopefully. I could moo and you would say cow. I would bark and you'd say dog, meow, cat, and so forth through the animal kingdom. So... Shouldn't it be the same for us? How is anybody in your life going to determine whether or not you're a God lover? I guarantee you it's by what comes out of your mouth. Or not. This is how people identify others. This is how we identify one another. We identify each other's tone of voice, content of, of conversation, and we can determine whether or not that person has actually been walking with Christ. You know, it, you may come and talk to me and say, you know, um, Pastor John, I know that, that you want us really speaking uh, as if the love of Christ is, has been indwelling us and we've been saturated with the word of God, um, but sometimes it just gets away from me. And, and that's the point. Uh, we, we live in a fallen body, don't we? We have a thing that we walk around with. It's called a tent. Paul calls this a tent that we live in. And connected to this tent is this tongue that gets us in trouble, these lips that get us in trouble. And God is in the process of, of transforming that very thing into something that glorifies him and brings encouragement to those in your life. So can those people around us even those who are closest to us, and usually that's the toughest group, identify us by what comes out of our lips. One of my favorite passages is, is found in Acts 4. I want to keep your finger in, in Psalm 119, but turn with me to Acts chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and I want to point out this truth to you. In this uh, passage, it's when Peter and John were arrested and standing before the Sanhedrin, having to give an answer to the questions of this Jew, Jewish relig, uh, religious body. And uh, they were being peppered with all sorts of questions and condemned for their actions and their words. And after a long interaction with these two apostles, they dismissed them, and this is what they said. Now when they, that is the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jews of the day, saw the boldness of Peter and John. And how do they know the boldness? By what was coming out of their mouth, Peter and John's mouth. And perceived that they were uneducated men, so they don't have to be the smartest guys in the world. These guys were fishermen. They were common men. They were astonished. The, the most educated people of John and Peter's day were astonished. Why were they astonished? Look at the next phrase. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Does your spouse know that you've been with Jesus? You know, we know that they've been with Satan from time to time, right? Do they know that we've been with Jesus? This is 
an amazing truth. When you spend time with Jesus, when you spend time in his word, it actually fills your heart and spills out of your mouth. We can be known by what comes out of our mouth. And usually, if not every time, it's an overflow of the heart. This is what Jesus said in Luke. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what's flowing out of your mouth? It's what's filling your heart. That's, those are Jesus' words. So our lips can be used to bless or to curse, to bring glory to God or shame to him, to bring encouragement or discouragement to people, to, to bring grace or condemnation, to give life or bring death. When we open our mouth, those things happen. This is why Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And, but, he says, only what is good for building people up. So, so you extend grace from your lips to the ears and hearts of the people in your world. What a, what a powerful tool this is, isn't it? Colossians 4, the apostle also speaks of the use of your tongue. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. Your, your, your lips should always be speaking forth gracious things, not just in the church lobby. I mean, if, if you were like you act in the church lobby, you'd have a great marriage, right? <laughs> That's the case with me. Oh, good to see you, man. I'm the best person in the lobby. On the way home, my socks are dirty. You know, how come you didn't clean the carpet? Whatever. Off it goes. It says, let your speech always, especially when you're tired, especially when you've had a hard day, let your speech always be gracious. This is, this is a reflection of your heart. When, when what's coming out of your mouth is gracious after a hard day is what's important. And it says we ought to know how to answer each person. That, that means our lips should be used to speak of God to every kind of person that we encounter. We ought, we, our, our speech of God to others ought to be consistent. It says, in, back to Psalm 119, if you want to turn back there with me, with my lips I declare or I tell all of your word. The, the psalmist insists that if your heart is full of God and full of his word, it will spill out of your mouth to others. Jesus seemed to agree with this. In chapter 7, verse 38 of John, Jesus said this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, that's what I want. That's what I want to be. I want to leave your presence when we're, when we're talking and you feel encouraged when I walk away. I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel critical. I don't want you to feel bitter. I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel more in love with Christ. Um, because Christ is in my heart. I, 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 he, he's filling me. He's filling you. And so what overflows from that should be gracious speech. We must use our lips in two particular ways. 
you've heard these words before. Some of you may not know what they mean, but I'm going to explain them, so bear with me. Edification and evangelism. Two E's. Our lips should be used to edify other Christians and evangelize the lost. Edification simply is the grace of building one another up. All right? Edification. It has nothing to do with buildings per se. It's what I would say to you to build you up. Edification is the grace of building others up. And in, in Colossians chapter 3, we've, we've already seen this verse today. Paul said that this will happen if the word of God dwells in you richly. Right? If the word of God dwells in you richly, what is the result? According to Colossians 3.16. You will teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So the presence of God and his word in your heart will overflow in teaching and admonishment from a wise mouth, a wise lip, a wise tongue. You see, the reason this happens is because true grace, the grace that Christ brings into our souls when he converts us to himself, is contagious. It's if there is a seed of true grace in your soul, it will permeate your being and flow out of and onto those with whom you come in contact. According to Psalm 119, verse 13, the content of what comes out of our mouths will be guided by God's word. We store God's word up in our heart. Verse 11, Psalm 119, what happens in verse 13? It flows out to others. So the content of what's coming out of a person who is pursuing God with all their heart, who's storing up his word, is grace. That's the result. Edification. Next is evangelism. What is this? It's the grace of sharing Christ with others. Again, turn with me one more time back to the New Testament. John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 1. And I want to show you how Genuine grace, a genuine encounter with Christ, results in sharing him with others. In this story, you'll, you'll see how Jesus was recruiting his disciples to follow him. Starting in verse 41, it says, He first found his, his own brother, that not Jesus, but uh, that is Andrew. Andrew um, found his own brother Simon, that's Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Your whole life, you've been looking for the Messiah. The whole life, you've been taught that he will come one day. And then your punk brother shows up and says, we found him. <laughs> That's what's going on here. Verse 42, uh, Andrew brought him to Jesus. Evidently, Peter wasn't convinced with just Andrew's words. So Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Notice the connections here. Meet Jesus, go tell someone. Philip found Nathanael, verse 45. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found the one. Friends, if, if you have been found by the one, if you have found Christ in our vernacular, 
You can't help but tell people about it. This is evangelism. This happens all over Scripture. John 4, the Samaritan woman, Jesus converts her. What happens? She runs back to town and tells everybody she can find. Um, to, to declare the rules of God includes evangelism and edification. It includes telling others about Jesus and encouraging those who already know him. And this happens in three spheres in our life. And the first sphere I want to mention to you is the sphere of our home. This happens in our homes. We must speak God's truth into our families. Training up children in our homes, uh, the, the goal of that is for them to embrace Christ Jesus. That's the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is not to survive till they move out, although some of you think that. The goal of parenting is to get your kids to love Jesus. That's the whole objective. It's not to make our kids like us. It's not so that they'll stay out of trouble. It's not to make them really good in sports. The, the idea of parenting is to help them love Jesus. Sherry and I talked about this all the time with each other when we were raising our kids. Decisions about what we would do and what we wouldn't do, what we would include them in and what we wouldn't include them in. All this stuff, the, the bottom line question was, will that decision help our kids love Jesus more? You know, this is, parenting is always new to us, right? I mean, you, you, you have kids, you don't know what to do with this tiny person. Um, you learn, right? And then they become toddlers and the new challenge is established. And then they become whatever it is after toddlers. And then they become teenagers. And it's, and it, you know, it, it never ends. And then you think, okay, finally they're moving out of the house. I can, no, you never stop worrying about them. Sorry, David, it just happens. You worry about your kids. There's always a new challenge, always something else. There's, you always need input from the community of God, the, the church, from those who have gone before, who have walked the path um, to help us through these challenging times of parenting. In February, we're going to be having a parenting seminar here. Um, I believe it's the 23rd and 24th. It's in your bulletin. And we want to encourage you parents, no matter how old your children are, to come. It's Friday evening and Saturday morning. Um, we'll be done, I think, by 1 o'clock on, on Saturday. But we want you to come, and we want to encourage you in this great task of parenting. And here's, here's what uh, Moses said to the people of Israel about this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and these words, what words? God's words. That I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The word of God, first of all, needs to penetrate your own heart, and then you need to take it and deliver it to your children. This is definitely what parenting is all about. Thomas Manton said this, listen closely, parents. The family is a seminary of the church and state. It's the, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the best love you can express to your children when you take care to season them with the best things. You know how you can love your kids the best? Get them onto every peewee league that you can, right? Make sure they're on the starting squad. 
right? No, of course not. Teach your, your son to fish so he can really, man, he can fly fish like nobody's business. His guy, my son can work on his car. He never has to take it to mechanic. Who cares? Who cares if your kid gets his college scholarship? Who cares? What we're talking about here is how much do they love Jesus? The best things. Take care to season your children with the best things. Husbands, what's the best way to love your wife? Bring them roses every week? Did I hear someone say yes? You have to turn that person's hearing aid up. I'm kidding. I know who said it. And it's not a bad idea to bring roses to your wife, but that's certainly not the best way to love them. Right? Um, the best way to love your wife is the way Christ loved the church. Isn't it? Um, how did he do that? Well, the first thing he did was to leave his heavenly home and humbly come into our pitiful world and teach and admonish and encourage. Jesus was the master teacher. He was the most compassionate, the most loving. He taught whoever would listen about God, about man, about salvation about the gospel. Husbands and fathers must be a source of spiritual nourishment and encouragement to their wives and children. Husbands must know and speak God's word to them. Husbands must, and fathers must be the ones who bring the gospel to bear in the home. You remember Jesus' parable of the talent in the gospels? If your family is a talent given to you by God, how are you investing it, parents? You're thinking, well, I'm not very good at this. It's like I said, it's my first time having kids, and I don't know, really, my first time being a husband. I, I don't know what to do. Well, even if your kids aren't young, even if you're a senior citizen, there's always a place to begin when it comes to your home. So saturate your home with the word. Uh, you say, well, I don't know where to begin. Every week we produce uh, family worship guides at Sun Valley Church. They're on our website. They're on the welcome counter out there every Sunday. A new family worship guide each and every Sunday. You don't know what to do? Pick one up and read it to your family. That's what you do. Teach your family to love Jesus. So the first sphere is in our homes. The second sphere is in our friendships. We need to see the things coming out of our mouths, edifying and evangelizing those of our friends that need one or the other or both. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, speaking to the church, speaking to Christians, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The Apostle Paul was confident that the Roman church 
was able actually to speak into the lives of one another. He believed that they had sufficient knowledge of God's word, sufficient relationship with God's son, to have some value and input into the lives of fellow believers. And I don't think the Roman church was that much different from us, except we have more of God's word than they did. We have everything we need to be a source of great encouragement to one another. We can actually counsel one another through difficulties, whatever they are. Question is, what is the focus of our conversation with our friends? And remember, the stuff that's coming out of your mouth is really an overflow of the heart. What is the focus of our conversations with one another in this church and outside of this church? I can tell you this, what we are interested in will occupy our minds and find its way out of our mouth. In speaking of false teachers, the Apostle John said this in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 5, they, the false teachers, are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The point is this that I want, I want to show you from this verse. The only thing worldly people have to talk about are worldly things. That's it. All they can talk about is the lousy season the Seahawks had, the, the trajectory of the economy, whether or not you like Trump, and maybe something about the weather. That's it. Insert Christ, everything changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the content available to us to discuss with one another becomes infinite. Literally infinite. Because Christ is infinite. See, this is so important to understand. The, what I'm saying here doesn't mean that every conversation has to be about God or the Bible or, you know, something religious and you have to look like a monk to do it. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying to you that every conversation, every conversation has to be saturated or filtered through the lens of Scripture. And let me just tell you something, Christian. Even those of you who are discouraged Christians, that happens if you don't, and you don't even know it's happening. You read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit implants it into your soul and your mind, and He uses that to filter your conversation, which is why it's critical that you fill your mind with the Word of God. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I may not sin when I talk, so that I'll give good advice, so that I'll be compassionate, so that I'll be a friend to one who needs it. That's happening to us who know Christ, who have the presence of God in us, in his spirit. That happens by default. But the more we pour his word into our soul and into our memory and into our lives, the more grace spills out of us to those around us. And I want us to be a church that just is gushing grace from every orifice. Try to imagine having a conversation with the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. How would that go? How long do you think they would talk about the Seahawks? They'd probably do it if they were here. They'd probably talk about the weather maybe a little bit. 
But I guarantee you, sooner or later, it would come around to the gospel. Sooner or later, it would come around to Christ. Sooner or later, it would come around to our need of him, to our need of his church. And everything they said that was unrelated to those specific spiritual things would be filtered by God's word. So whatever your interests and affections are, friends, they will find their way out of your mouth. Listen to this psalm uh, from a man that I want to be like. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and hear, all of you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. You know anybody like that? That you can count on them keeping the conversation headed in the right direction? Oh, for more people like that. Friends, if we're going to be talking to those in our sphere of influence that don't know Jesus, does the topic of Christ ever come into your conversation with them? No, but I'm praying that they'll come to know Jesus. You see the problem with that kind of thinking? I want my friends to really come to know Jesus. I want my, my in-laws to really come to know Jesus. I want my neighbors to really come to know Jesus, but I'm not willing to say Jesus to them. I don't want to offend them, or I don't want them to think I'm a psycho. You are a psycho, just admit it. All right? Embrace it. If, if Christ never crosses our lips, how are the people that we love that don't know him ever going to hear of him? I, I, my wife has a cousin here in town. I've known, him from, I've known him for 35 years. We had dinner with him the other day, and he tells me that his roommate was good friends with Barack Obama his college roommate. They used to call him Brother Barry. So if you ever see Barack Obama on the street, hey, Brother Barry, he will think you're an old buddy. My cousin's college roommate was buddies with Barack Obama, and that's the first time it ever crossed my ears. Not that it's all that important, but the point is, I never knew. I never knew this guy knew Obama. One of my, my relatives met Brother Barry when he was in college. He came to his college dorm room. I never knew. Well, how many of your friends never knew that you knew Christ? Little more important than Brother Barry. We have three spheres that we need to um, be diligent with about what comes out of our mouth, evangelistically and in terms of edification, in your home, in your friendships, and thirdly, in your church. Now, you thought you were safe here, didn't you? That there are none of those people in this room. Well, evidently the psalmist, all the apostles, and Jesus himself that we need to be speaking evangelistically and um, edifyingly with people in the church. 
Look what the psalmist is asking us to declare. Do you see it? Verse 13, Psalm 119. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. All of God's rules. Remember, all of God's word. That's, rules is a synonym for God's word. I declare all of God's word, not some of them, not just the easy part, not just the comfortable doctrines. All of God's word. I think this verse could encourage us at Sun Valley Church that we endeavor to take the word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and open up our souls to that work so that the Holy Spirit of God may shine the divine light of his grace through those words onto our hearts so that we change. (laughs) The, The glory of Christ, friends, is the thing that changes us. And the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that the word of God is where the glory of Christ is found, and we can see Christ here uh, seeping up through the pages, and that encounter changes us. The Apostle Paul was a pastor to many of the churches, at least an itinerant pastor, to many of the churches that he wrote letters to. The book of Ephesians is a letter from Paul to the church of Ephesus. The book of Colossians is a letter from Paul to the church of Colossae. And so he, he was concerned about the amount and the content of God's word that he would preach to them. And he said this to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't withhold any of it even the uncomfortable parts. Friends, when we teach or preach the word of God, we cannot withhold certain doctrines because they're uncomfortable. Um, The content of our teaching and preaching cannot be determined by what we think others will enjoy. I don't sit in my study, you know, throughout the week and twiddle my thumbs and go, I wonder if they will like this. Uh, Who do you think determines the content of the sermons that you hear on Sunday mornings? Do you think it's the elders? They're my boss, bosses. Do you think that they determine the content of the sermons? Do you think I determine the content of the sermons? No. Friends, the beauty of verse by verse exposition is God determines the content of the verses, I mean of the sermons. If, if I were to say to you, at least those of you who've been at Sun Valley Church for a while, uh, friends, we're just going to skip uh, stanza 2, 9 through 16, all that important. Let's just go ahead and dive into verse 17. You'd go, time out, wouldn't you? And you'd be right. What is it about 9 through 16, Pastor John, that you don't want us to hear? Are you, you, you're afraid that you might scare some of us off? And by the way, if you've been here for a while, I know you're pretty tough. (laughs) Friends, that is why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and take our time doing it. It's because then God is the one who determines what you're hearing. Not me, not a group of elders, God. It also is a little bit of a comfort to me to know that if you disagree with something, you can take it up with God. 
Then I want to emphasize another word in that, in that sentence. Not only all of God's rules, he says in verse 13, but all of God's rules. Not human opinion. Not hobby horses of the pastor. God's rules. When we teach or preach the whole counsel of God, then you are hearing from him. When a church fails to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, I believe they abdicate their responsibility to shepherd the flock of God that he has given them. Friends, I can preach a sermon from the Bible that isn't from God. And it happens every Sunday in a majority of churches around the world. They preach messages from the Bible that are not from God. You say, how in the world is that possible? Let me show you really quick. And this is going to be a ridiculous demonstration to communicate the truth of what, that this is possible. I can preach to you the benefits of committing suicide. Judas hung himself. This disciple of Jesus walked with him for three years. He hung himself to death. Now let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians in verse four, chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And go and do likewise. You got it? Go, kill yourselves. This is perfect. How insane is that? I'm taking one verse from here, one verse from there, putting it together, and sending it out the door with a bunch of baloney. And that happens all the time. Which is why it's important we go verse by verse by chapter by chapter through the book. I can't pick out one verse here and one verse there, put it together and make up a hobby for you to ride along with. It's impossible. Um, so uh, we embrace all of God's word at Sun Valley Church, even the parts that are uncomfortable, uh, that might make you consider the possibility of not coming back here. And we're okay with that. We would rather you stay and be sanctified by the Spirit of God, but we know everybody doesn't. You're thinking, wow, I'm really thankful I'm not a preacher or a teacher. Um, you know, as James said in chapter 3, verse 1, not all of you should think that you're all teachers because teachers will be judged more harshly, and that is true. But what I want to suggest to you that all are not teachers, while all are not teachers, all teach. Just because you're not a teacher doesn't mean you don't teach. You do. And let me suggest to you how that might work. God's design in the church is not that everyone be a teacher or a preacher, but every Christian must have input into the lives of those around him. That's what this whole sermon's been about. God has given you information on himself and is asking and commanding that you go and share that with others. Whether or not you're a teacher. Now you might say, well, I'm just not real comfortable declaring God's word to follow the, the words of verse 13. With my lips I declare I'm not really 
interested or comfortable in declaring God's word to other people. I just don't feel it's my place. Well, that doesn't change the command. <laughs> um, I'm going to share with you a, an illustration. Hopefully it, it settles in your mind with what I'm trying to say. When I was high school, I went to high school in Northern California, and we lived, I lived an hour away from the high school I attended, and so we were out in the boonies. My dad was a pastor of a small village mission church there in Horse Creek, California, and our neighbors owned milk cows. And on occasion, uh, well, I helped them milk those cows, and on occasion, and this was by hand, by the, by the way, by hand milking the cows, um, on occasion, they would ask me if I would take over the responsibilities of this for weeks on end. I said, sure, I'll do that. And the owner, or my neighbor, he would come to me and say, now listen, John, it's important that you milk these cows every day. If you, if you don't milk these cows every day, their, their udders will dry up and you'll ruin my milk cow. Don't ruin my milk cow. I said, okay, milk them every day. I'll do it. So, you know, you, know, you get a rhythm going, you know, it works out all right. What's the point? If you stop milking, it'll dry up. If you stop sharing Christ, if you, or if you cease to share Christ or, or never share Christ, that will be a dry place. It will dry up in your being. You have to exercise speaking the words of Christ. You have to speak to one another as uncomfortable as it is initially, the words of Christ. You have to speak of God and Jesus. And the more you do that, the more production you'll get. You'll be an encouragement to those around you. Instead of neglecting godly dialogue and drying up that place in your heart and soul and having nothing to offer your friends and neighbors and family, you'll be a source of joy and nourishment and encouragement just by doing it. And you don't have to be an expositor. You don't have to be Martin Lloyd-Jones or John MacArthur. You just have to open the Bible and read it. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Whoever brings it will be enriched. There's a promise to you, right? Or a uh, axiom, maybe I should say. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. We must speak God's word into each other's lives, friends. In order to do that, the word of God must be part of our lives. This is why I study throughout the week, if you want to know the truth. I don't want to get up here and... Blah, 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 blah. I want to have something to share, something to say. That's from God for you. And the final point of the day is to speak God's word in prayer. And I'm going to move through this quickly. Um, but one of the obvious places that we declare, again, verse 13, that we declare the rules of God's mouth is here in the worship service, right? When we sing, when we pray, when we recite, aren't we reciting, singing, and praying the word of God? Every single Sunday, that's what we do. In Jesus' day, the Jewish folks, the, the Pharisees and the like, did the same thing. Did you know that? 
They had their worship services. They sang, prayed, and recited. And you know what Jesus' response was to their worship? Their lips are close to me, but their hearts are far from me. They're saying the right things, but their heart is hard as stone. And here's my encouragement to you, friends. We want to avoid that thing at all costs at Sun Valley Church. I want you to avoid the hypocrisy of sitting here and singing and reciting and praying or sitting at home and singing and reciting and praying with your family or in your small group and having a heart of stone. Friends, run from that. Don't play games with God. He's not interested. Now, we don't expect you to come here and be on a spiritual high every single Sunday or be on a spiritual high every evening with your family, but we do expect you to be honest, right? Honest with each other here, honest with your family. Asking for prayer when you need it, confessing your sins when you need it. Be quick to embrace the promises of God's word regarding his love and forgiveness to offer to you in Christ. Be quick to embrace the good news of, of the gospel every single time that the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. God, friends, has given you lips to declare his rules, to speak of his grace, his mercy, his love to a world that desperately needs it. The person sitting next to you desperately needs you to speak Christ into their lives. Literally, the person next to you. He's given us lips to be the source of encouragement, to be his lips to those who need to hear from him. And we will always need more of Christ, won't we? So making resolutions as we do this time of year, Let's resolve that 2018 will be a year that we use our lips for God's glory and the good of his people as much as we possibly can. That we'll be careful to guard our lips, to use them the way that God has intended. As we pursue holiness, remember that we declare all the rules of his mouth. What precious thought these are. And I pray that this will be so for you and for me and for all of us here at Sun Valley. Let's pray. Father, these thoughts are challenging thoughts, I acknowledge, especially since all of us struggle so greatly in this area of, of our mouths. Um, Thank you for your word here. The encouragement is to us that we might uh, seek you more fully, that in our wholehearted pursuit of you, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll begin to change the contents of our heart, which will overflow in the contents of our words. God, I would ask for your grace and mercy upon Sun Valley Church as we enter this new year together. Pray that we'll be known by love, that we'll be a people who are continually pouring grace upon grace in each other's lives. 
They were continually being a source of encouragement, continually pointing people to Jesus and his gospel. Father, help us to be a church that is is concerned and quick to share Christ with those in our world in which we work and live. Father, we want to be all these things because of what you've been for us. We want to speak out your word because you've spoken it into our hearts. We want to share your grace and mercy with those around us because you have implanted grace and mercy into our souls. Father, the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, resides within each and every one of us who have embraced Christ. And we want to give him free reign so that we will be a people who are used by you to share the grace of God to everyone we come in contact with. Help us to be these kind of people. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who always had the right thing to say. Amen. This morning.